0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Courage in Action. All of us feel some level of stress and anxiety in our busy, busy lives. Today, I'm joined by Laura Gutierrez, and she is here to help us pay attention to our mental health, emotional health, and physical well-being. Laura is a certified holistic nutritionalist and mindful meditation facilitator. Through her organization, The Health Sprout, Laura focuses her work on helping women optimize our moods and cognition. I'm certainly looking forward to this conversation and finding a bit more balance and peace in my life. Um, so, welcome, Laura.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's so exciting to be here.
0: Amazing. So we talk a lot on Courage and Action about our journeys and everybody's unique lives and how we hit pivotal moments at certain times in our lives. But you had a life-changing experience when you were as young as 12. Could you tell us a little bit of about that experience and the path that it took you on to bring you to where you are today?
1: Yeah, um, so I was diagnosed with epilepsy when I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And this was something that I had never heard of, my family had never heard of. It was something that completely caught us off guard because before I was 12 years old, like I had led... you know, normal life, quote unquote. Um, And the setting in which it happened, my first ever seizure was in uh, a math class, I remember. and Oh no, as a
0: 12-year-old, that's
1: mortifying, right? (laughs) And I had like a dislike of math for a while afterwards. (laughs) I think it might have been tied to that. Understandable, completely. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it happened in a very public setting and Luckily, I was never bullied. I was never like made fun of, which is very right. surprising when yeah. I speak to other people my age that, had, that have epilepsy and they um, either had a seizure in public or people knew that they had epilepsy and they were bullied. So I think for me, like very lucky, but um, yeah, but definitely something that changed my life and my family's life as well. So it took us a while to sort of navigate that situation and find some balance amidst the chaos of like being diagnosed with a chronic illness, because I was told this was something I would have for the rest of my life. Mm. So um, definitely took some time to just learn how to navigate it, to become accommodated to seeing doctors, having more medical appointments, testing different medications to see what worked for me. And in the end I was very lucky because I did find a medication that stabilized me and um, you know, I could go for years being seizure-free. So very lucky exactly. in that regard. Um, mm-hmm. Cause then I, I could have that normal life again um, as before, before quote,
0: quote unquote normal. Yes. <laughs> quote unquote. That really? yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it was a very pivotal moment for sure. And it, it, was kind of the catalyst to what really influenced me to get into holistic nutrition, to get into mindfulness. Um, But it wasn't until much, much later that, you know, I became a nutritionist and I began to study nutrition formally and then later on became a mindfulness facilitator. But yes, that moment when I was diagnosed at 12 was kind of the pivotal point, like the thing that made um, the difference later on, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, it absolutely makes sense. And it's almost like something that some people would see as a a hindrance or a block actually became an opening for you and set you up for your life, it seems like.
1: Yeah, well, I think at first it definitely seemed like a block. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no,
0: I mean, and, of course, but...
1: Yeah, and it took a while for me to even be comfortable like talking about having epilepsy, um, yeah. talking about having a chronic illness. It was like it took a while for me to get to that point. And, um, but once I did, I've actually found it very empowering because people were very open to hearing about my journey and sometimes they were inspired. And I was like, you know, it's not my, my goal to make other people feel inspired, but it is very motivational for me, at least that I could turn my personal story and things that I have gone through struggled with quite a bit. Um, and then I'm able to help other people through my own experience um and definitely right. I did experience a lot of mental health I yeah. guess challenges because of that I had a lot of anxiety I went through some depression at first um and I think that is normal when you're diagnosed with a chronic illness and especially Absolutely. when you're 12 years old and you're like yeah. you're starting to be a teenager
0: right <laughs> you're just like, on the cusp of not that. the right time, time.
1: yeah <laughs>
0: Um, so you have, you know, you have a very, um, I guess holistic is the right word approach to, to being. Maybe we can sort of unpack each area of it. So you talk about nutrition, how important is it? Um, what we eat and you all often hear people say like, you are what you eat and that kind of thing, but like how mm-hmm. so much of a difference has it made in your life? And why did you, why did you dedicate your career essentially to
1: that? Yeah. That's such a great question. And definitely diet, nutrition has a huge impact on all of us, what type of foods we eat, what type Mm -hmm. of foods we don't eat. Um, And when I, I guess back to my diagnosis, when I was diagnosed, um, the way of treatment was just to take medication, right? Right. Um, The medication also has side effects and it leads to some nutritional deficiency. So it takes away some nutrients from you. And I guess I found um, that through diet, eventually I was really able to benefit my own health. Um, and I really got interested when I was in my mid 20s about like nutrition, researching different diets, particularly mm-hmm. some things that could help me with my cognitive well being. And I just found that world so fascinating that like something that is so accessible to all of us and that's necessary for us to consume on a daily basis can actually yeah. be so healing. Yeah. So, um, you know, diet has not only helped me in terms of my epilepsy, but also balancing my hormones and balancing my mood. And there's so many different things that we can do um, that are not, you know, focusing on medication necessarily, but more of a preventative approach to health so that we can be healthy, you know, as we get older. And then if we also have a health condition, we can improve it through diet and nutrition. So, um, yeah, it's pretty incredible all the different benefits that food can have.
0: Yeah. And how do you you determine what your body needs in terms of, I know it's probably a big question (laughs) and requires like, hours and hours of diagnosis and all of these or analysis, I guess, but how, how, what's the first step that people should take to understand their own bodies and what we need in terms of nutrition?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think like a base guideline is just eating whole foods as much as we can. So, you know, food in their, in its natural form is going to be the most beneficial, most nutrient dense food we can find. Okay. Like whole foods are very easily recognized by our bodies and they're easy to break down and absorb all of the nutrients. So, you know, if you just want a really simple approach to eating healthy, I would just say it's eating a lot of whole foods. So So none of
0: our, none of the junk food that we and then yeah, (laughs) Yeah. like
1: trying to minimize or cut down on processed foods, which are very tempting. And of course you can have them like occasionally. So that's another thing about like my approach. And I think also more holistic nutritionists also have this approach of just like not restricting food or making it very hard for you to follow a specific diet, but like being inclusive, still making you enjoy your food, but um, but definitely incorporating more of those healing whole foods. Mm. So I think yeah, to answer your question, a good way to just begin by um, eating healthy is just eating a lot of whole foods, and hopefully when they're in season and hopefully local if you can. Got it.
0: And does that mean, so there's a whole kind of movement towards raw food, does whole mean uncooked and in its completely natural state, or does it mean, you know, just not processed and no chemical additives and that sort of thing?
1: Mm, Yeah, that's a good question too. So it's just basically food that's not processed or that's minimally processed. So if you okay. think of like going to your farmer's market or grocery store yeah. and you just go to the produce aisle and you get like, you know, your greens and fruits and your meats. So it's just that type of food. That's basically, it hasn't been really processed as opposed to going into the, um, the processed food aisle. Yeah. And the aisles like, and your chips all the sugar and, and the
0: chips. And yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> and like that has
1: a lot of, you know, additives, a lot of fillers, a lot of um sugars as well so it's it's more processed and your body doesn't really recognize that as much it doesn't have all of the nutrients so you're just kind of consuming a lot of calories which don't have um, as many nutrients so got it again it's not like you have to eliminate all processed foods but just kind of incorporate more of the whole foods
0: ease up a bit on it (laughs) yeah
1: yeah
0: (laughs) um and I, have known quite a few people, both friends and in my family that have, um, either chronic uh, diseases or autoimmune issues. And, and mm-hmm. one of the things that, you know, we've, they've all been told is remove gluten. Like gluten is a terrible thing for anyone with an autoimmune disease. And that's what, sort of, is it, and you hear trends about people who don't have potentially, you know, chronic diseases or anything like that, removing gluten is gluten and this, E- sort of evil thing that we're being told or what is that about
1: yeah that's become pretty popular in i would say maybe the past decade or so um and definitely when you have something like celiac disease which is an autoimmune condition then yeah. yes you want to avoid gluten completely mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people that have found that they're also sensitive to gluten and when they eliminate it from their diet they feel so much better like Um, they don't have as much brain fog, they have better digestion, Mm -hmm. their mood improves. So um, is it a fad or is it an actual thing? Well, um, okay, so first, what is gluten? So gluten is the protein that's found in wheat. And um, it does have an effect in terms of our intestinal lining. So research has been done that the tight junctions in our intestinal lining, which are basically what makes our the lining of the gut be like um, protecting us from the outside world. Okay. So those tight junctions can open up a little bit when we have gluten, some people more than others. So um, potentially it can lead to things like leaky gut, which means things are getting Uh, into your bloodstream that shouldn't be.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: However, there's also this added layer that uh, wheat is a crop that is really heavily sprayed with glyphosate and glyphosate is a pesticide. Mm. That's also known as Roundup. So because it's so heavily sprayed with glyphosate, some people that find that they're sensitive to gluten are actually not sensitive to the protein, but they're sensitive to the pesticide. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So there is like some um, investigation, I guess, as to if it's actually the protein or the pesticide. But I would say that there is some validity in terms of being sensitive to gluten if you're mm-hmm. consuming like very processed wheat products, for example, like Wonder Bread, like really processed <laughs> yes. white bread, very processed.
0: processed. bleached, not really <laughs> a food anymore. Yes, but. like um,
1: Pillsbury, dough. like, again, not to say that there's not anything wrong with having it once in a while. So but like,
0: delicious, <laughs> but
1: so bad for you. <laughs> I love, love croissant. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, essentially like, You just want to be mindful of the type, the quality that you're eating, because when you eat, um, when you eat wheat and bread, that is more like better quality. So it's organic. It's been fermented, for example, sourdough. It's so much easier for us to absorb, to break down than, um, you know, a pastry that is very processed. So looking for a very good quality wheat, um, bread is really good. So sourdough type of fermented organic wheat, Um, can make a difference. And then just being conscious that wheat is very heavily sprayed with pesticides. So that could also be affecting your gut and it can also be affecting your mood. Mm. So,
0: yeah. So you just said it can affect our mood and I, I, obviously it's not just wheat that can do that, but the foods that we consume is definitely going to impact both our physical and our mental um, reactions and state. Uh, how do we make that connection and and um, how does it influence our our mood to start with, like the emotional side, I'll say.
1: So how we can make that connection, if you have ever had like four cups of coffee in one day with sugar in it, <laughs> Yeah, sure. You can like I
0: might kind of have connect. a heart attack, but yeah.
1: <laughs> I can't have like one. I need to have a decaf all the time. Yeah, yeah. But um, I know some people I can have like five cups in a day. Which yes, is intense. Yes. Mm-hmm. But essentially, um, yeah. If you think of having like a lot of caffeine, or if you think of having a bit of a sugar binge on Halloween or you know Valentine's Day or whatever, yeah. Um, just the overconsumption of certain things like sugar, caffeine, um, maybe having too many. Um, refined carbohydrates that will definitely affect our mood but it can also make us feel good like sometimes um when we eat a large meal filled with carbohydrates we kind of feel really nice afterwards we have like this calm yeah. feeling
0: <laughs> yeah like a cozy feeling I'm
1: like I'm yeah go. exactly so yeah. there is a very clear connection between the foods that we eat and our mood and it is very much tied to our gut health okay um so there's a lot going on in our gut. We have the microbiome, which is, um, which has, has like trillions of bacteria and yeast and fungi, and it's also the place where we create a lot of neurotransmitters, which are chemicals that our body needs in order to communicate things. So basically, our neurons will create neurotransmitters to communicate things between cells, okay? And there's a lot of these chemicals that make us feel good like serotonin and that's associated to feelings of happiness and well-being feeling content so 95% of that chemical is made in our gut oh wow Okay, not in our brain so you know it's so so tied to our mood and keeping our gut happy is really essential to keeping our mood kind of elevated and um yeah, just keeping us balanced, not keep, not making us stressed out or anxious.
0: It almost brings a whole new meaning to when you hear about brain food, like (laughs) you don't, like you don't associate your gut with how your brain is going to react, right? Yeah,
1: no, totally. Yeah. Um, But yes, there's definitely a lot of foods that can impact our mood and make us feel better. For example, chocolate is one of them. So if you eat dark chocolate, (laughs) it can actually make you feel better. Yeah. Yeah. so yeah, there's a very clear, clear connection between the foods you're eating, how you're going to feel emotionally and mentally.
0: There's, um, I guess there's a scale for everything too. Cause like you just said dark <laughs> chocolate can boost your mood. I'm like, but I love some milk chocolate <laughs> over here on the other side With like yeah. white chocolate being even worse than that, you know, <laughs> maybe just a little square instead of, uh, the entire bar, yeah. which-
1: <laughs> So <laughs> yeah, um, who doesn't love chocolate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it you know, it does, obviously it gives you a little bit of a boost, but then you're on some, that's the sugar high and it'll crash. And,
1: <laughs> yeah. You
0: know, you may be kinder to your body than that. Um, but you're also, so there's a whole piece and we could talk for hours about, you know, the actual nutrition and, and the chemical reactions that are, so that brings us up to from the gut, up to the brain. And you are also a, um, mindfulness meditation facilitator. So <laughs> can you tell us, I guess start with what mindfulness is, and then how you, how how you facilitate that. I suppose. <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally different now that we're in the pandemic age, but yeah, um, mindfulness essentially is being in the present moment. So it's moment to moment awareness, mm-hmm. and just being in the now. So when you're practicing mindfulness, it's more like um, a way of being. So it's, you know, you can practice being mindful in your everyday life, when you're walking, when you're washing the dishes, when you're cooking, Um, and it's essentially just being in the present moment. So just uh, focusing on what you're doing in that moment, as -hmm. opposed to worrying about the future or thinking about the past, or just getting away from this moment so you can be in the next one, which is going to be better. (laughs) Right. Just essentially, yeah, being in that present moment and just using all of your senses and all of your attention to that. And then meditation is a tool that we can use to become mindful. So when we practice meditation, we either, you know, focus on our breathing or we can do a body scan. So we kind of practice um, being with different parts of our body systematically. So it's kind of just like putting attention to a specific area of focus And then with that focus, with that attention, we can calm our mind and then it permeates onto our everyday lives and we can be more mindful in our everyday lives. Okay. So it makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But um, so if, if I'm doing the dishes or one of our, our listeners (laughs) is like doing the dishes and then, you know, our days are very busy and you mentioned like during this COVID pandemic, people are very worried about a lot of things and it could be, you know, we use the pandemic, for example, like, oh, I, I had to go to the grocery store and I may have been exposed or, yeah. you know, what's going to happen in the future? Am I are we getting back to normal life? Or, you know, for some people it's, um, you know, your income, your jobs, your life has completely changed the isolation. How do we practice? Because I like that you said you have to practice it because I'm sure it won't come in the... <laughs> In the the snap of a finger, but um, how how do how can we navigate some of that? Because there's a lot going on right now.
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of taking a very multifaceted approach. So maybe not relying on just one thing, like mindfulness, to um, help us feel better in like every single aspect of our life. And mindfulness is something that. It's not like a magic solution to all of our challenges, but what it does, it can help us to navigate challenges with a bit more calmness and awareness and ease. Okay.
0: So
1: that we can respond to situations with um, a better mindset, like a more positive, calm mindset, and then we can navigate difficulties and challenges, okay. um, like better, and not coming from a very like um, scared and fearful mentality. So that's how mindfulness can help in that regard, but definitely there's so much uncertainty and a lot of overwhelm. A lot of people are feeling really stressed out and just burnt out with this yeah. ongoing pandemic. For so we are tired days.
0: of this pandemic. That's yes. for sure. so, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and there's, you know, isolation, there's financial yeah. worries. There's so many things, as you mentioned before. So I you know a
0: loved one could be sick or you may have lost a loved one. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, um, grief going on as well.
1: Yeah, for so. sure. So I think using basically having a toolkit and using mm. as many tools as you can in order to feel a little bit more balanced emotionally, mentally, physically. Yeah. So definitely, you know, taking a holistic approach. So um incorporating foods that are healing that are calming and grounding. Okay. Um, going outside into nature, being mindful when you can take a walk and just kind of really connecting to, you know, the trees, the wind, the sun, just taking a break mm. from whatever it is that is overwhelming you and just being mindful in that moment when you're, you know, walking, connecting with nature. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of different self-care practices that you can also incorporate that are, you know, accessible in the context of this pandemic. So, you know, reading your favorite book making your favorite meal just connecting with a friend or a loved one over the phone or Mm -hmm. going for a social distance walk so i think there's a lot of different tools that we can incorporate and actually one great one is gratitude Mm, so (laughs) if you develop a gratitude practice it's very it can shift your perspective so much um And a lot of the times we have this negativity bias. So our minds are very much trained to kind of look for the negative. And we can get into this scarcity mentality where we're thinking we don't have enough. Mm -hmm. So we might be thinking we don't have enough connection. We don't have enough stability. There's so much uncertainty. And we can get into this very scarcity mentality. So by just writing five things we're grateful for every day, we can really shift it. And um, of course they don't have to be things that are very like, um, that are huge. They can just be very small things like, you know I'm grateful for this really delicious meal or I'm grateful for um, talking with my friend today. Like things like that, you know especially if you practice it at the end of the day can really make a difference and just kind of make you feel more relaxed and safe.
0: Mm. Safe safety, I think is a huge thing for everybody right now. It's to feel that, sense of comfort and especially where, you know, um, especially if you live alone, like you don't even know when you're the next time you're going to be <laughs> hugged or the next, you know what I mean? Like that isolation factor can, can be really, um, can be quite traumatizing for some people, I think.
1: Yeah. And I think I've, um, because I'm in this field of mindfulness and I'm, um, and holistic nutrition and I've been, facilitating a few workshops on self-care and mm. managing uncertainty and connecting around, you know, this difficult time. And, um, definitely people have voiced out how they feel so much disconnection and it's really overwhelming to have isolation happening for a very long time. It's just not right. natural for humans. So definitely mm. is taking a toll. Um, but I think, um, it is really great that we have these different forms of connecting, like even if you go through an online course, like, I don't know, being offered by your library about whatever, if it's a book club, any type of thing, any way that we can connect right now is so, so important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, everybody talks about Zoom fatigue and the screens, but I, <laughs> I think the video like videos have made such a big difference um, in terms of still feeling connected
1: to people. Oh um, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I love that you said, you know, get outside and, and take a walk. sometimes, you know, for me, I'll just go for a walk with a social distance mask on walk <laughs> <laughs> with, you know, a friend and just have a conversation in real life uh I find can be really rejuvenating
1: um, mm. and you know what I also love about going for walks is when you just see other people walking yes, like,
0: other humans there's other humans
1: <laughs> out there they're walking their dog <laughs> so, yes
0: yeah and you like, can say hi to the dog they're so cute so
1: <laughs> exactly but, so that kind of brings back the sense of normalcy for me it's just like seeing people you know yeah That's absolutely me. even if you don't talk to them it's just the fact that you're seeing other human beings living their life makes a difference too.
0: Yeah. And then, so then on the other extremes, you've got people who are single and then they live in, and we're feeling a bit of isolation on the other extreme. I know lots of people who now they have their kids at home all day long and potentially they have elderly parents there. And I, um, I've heard stories also about people who are in relationships that should not be that,
1: <laughs> yes. you
0: know, are now stuck in that situation. Yeah. How did they get, some space to find that time or ability to, to practice self-care.
1: Yeah, that is actually a really tough one, especially when you said like couples that Mm -hmm. then find out they shouldn't be together, but you know, under the circumstances have to for some time. Mm Um, I think a few things can come into play. So acceptance of where you are right now. And acceptance doesn't mean that you're just letting go and not doing anything to, you know, better your situation, but at least accepting where you are right now. Yeah, really important. And then it depends a lot on relationship dynamics, family dynamics. But if you can communicate to who you live with, and just say, um, be very clear about your needs and your boundaries. So you know, if you need, for example, one night a week to just have a few hours for yourself so you can journal, so you can music, you can do yoga or just like take a bath. Yeah. I just say that because I think it's really important to, to know that self-care is also for other people. Like the saying says, uh, or the saying goes, you need to put your oxygen mask on first. Yes. And you know, that is so you can take better care of people. So if you are in a family and you have kids that are home all the time, you do need to, um, somehow find a bit of balance and just, you know, it can be so difficult though, um, you know, with being at home all the time and maybe not being able to have that additional time, but, yeah. um, even just taking a mental break, you know, just, you know, reading a book for a little bit, um, mm-hmm. taking some mental, making it, taking a mental break from just being constantly on the go taking a few deep breaths. And this is where, you know, mindful breathing can really come into place. Just um, diaphragmatic breathing can be really good for relaxing us and for slowing us down, especially our racing thoughts. Um, But when it comes to, you know, navigating spaces where we're constantly interacting with other people, just, I think being very clear about our needs and um, putting up some expectations, some boundaries is really important.
0: For sure. And you, so you mentioned, I think it was diaphragmatic. How did you say that? Yeah, <laughs> diaphragmatic, oh, you, breathing. diaphragmatic breathing. So for, um, for our listeners and for me, <laughs> can you explain a little bit about, you know, what that is and how you can, I, you know, breathing exercises you can practice anywhere at any time. Yes. You don't even need to know you're doing it. You can just <laughs> do it for yourself, right? So can you explain a little bit about what that might look like or what you do?
1: Yeah. So the diaphragm is like a muscle that um, is in your, well, it basically separates your chest and your like upper torso area. Yep. And it's really good for relaxing us and getting into the parasympathetic mode. So we have like two different... Um, nervous systems, I guess, within our central nervous system. And one of them is the sympathetic. So that's the one that's responsible for fight or flight. When we feel really anxious, stressed out, that's the one that becomes activated. And then we have the parasympathetic, which is in charge of rest and digest is what it's also called. So Mm. it's in charge of like relaxing us, making us feel more chilled. So when we do things like diaphragmatic breathing, we can activate the parasympathetic nervous system. Okay. And essentially it's just, you can put your hands on your belly and just breathe deeply for, you know, three breaths, hold it for two or three breaths, and then try to exhale for a bit longer. And you can do a couple of rounds. There's actually a really good breathing exercise where you just, um, count to five with one hand. So like every breath that you take, like your inhale and your exhale will be one count. And then you can just like count to five with one hand. Okay. Your fingers. Um, okay if that makes sense. So even doing something like that, like a five minute breathing exercise, a three minute breathing exercise in your day, if mm. you do it like two, three times a day can really help you to reduce that overwhelm. Okay. And get you into a more relaxed parasympathetic state.
0: Parasympathetic state. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you also mentioned, you know, when it comes to mindfulness, Um, It is our minds kind of going in a million different directions and we want to stay present. Um, How do we differentiate or how do we make sure we're not just suppressing things Mm. and saying that we're in the present state versus actually concentrating and being in the present state? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's so true. So with mindfulness and with meditation, the point is not to stop our thoughts or to neglect our emotions. So actually okay. it's really healthy for us to feel them. And that's, that's another aspect of self care. Actually, if we allow ourselves to feel our emotions and not only feel them, but also connect what parts of our body feel them. Okay. So for example, if we're feeling a lot of fear, and then we just kind of sit with it, allow ourselves to feel the fear and then connect to where in our body that fear is, you know, coming from. So maybe we feel mm. it in our chest. Maybe we feel it in our belly. And as we kind of stay with it and just allow ourselves to breathe through it, to kind of welcome it, and um, you know, not not try to suppress it because that's only going to accumulate it and it's going to make us feel really overwhelmed. So right. if we just feel it. We kind of learn to release it. And um, that's a really good way of basically um, just letting go of emotions and processing them in a better way. And we don't have to feel scared of our emotions, even though it can be something that, um, you know, I guess society has deemed to be scary or something that we should run away from is feeling anger or fear or anxiety mm-hmm. but when we actually feel it then our bodies has a much easier time just releasing it and letting it go
0: i think re- like releasing was the key word there like if you're suppressing an emotion like sometimes you need a really good cry like
1: yeah. sometimes
0: yeah. or a scream or you know oh, like yeah. punch a pillow not a human yeah. a pillow <laughs> like, I mean, but like it's yes. really important because we there's a lot of, you know, and I am by no means an expert but you do hear there's a lot of disease and a lot of physical affliction that can happen that is driven purely by stress and anxiety.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And definitely when we accumulate those emotions, we don't release them and we suppress them. Yeah. Um over time they can definitely manifest as a physical condition or they mm-hmm. can, you know, be more detrimental to our mental health. So um definitely a lot of research that has tied our like suppressing emotions, not processing them, even from trauma, from whatever stressful events happened, and then that leading on to like a physical illness later on.
0: Right. And how do we? Um, we all have these internal judges, I'll say, and our self critics are probably the harshest critic that we will ever. One would hope our self critics are the hardest, harshest, harshest critic yeah. that we would <laughs> uh, come across. Yeah. Um. How do we navigate um, releasing that self-criticism so that you can truly feel that emotion without that judgment?
1: Mm, I think a lot of that comes down to, like you were saying, criticism, so our thinking, yeah. um, the quality of our thoughts, our really deeply rooted beliefs, and mm. um, our thinking patterns So by practicing things like mindfulness meditation and when we kind of sit quietly with ourselves, we begin to become aware of the quality of our thoughts. So one thing you practice with mindfulness is you just, you become aware of your thoughts. You don't try to suppress them. You don't judge them, but you kind of just look at them like you're watching a a movie and then you just don't attach yourself to them. You try to just let them go. Mm. Um, But if you really want to, become very cognizant of the type of thoughts you're having, you can also write them down. And there's lots of different exercises. Like there's a really helpful one um, that's practiced in cognitive behavioral therapy Mm -hmm. and it's called a thought record. So if you look it up online, you'll find different thought records like templates. Okay. And what it involves is you just write down all of your negative thinking, like tied to a specific situation. Mm -hmm. And then you, um, you write down like your physical symptoms. If you had, you know, heart palpitations, whatever, then your negative thoughts associated to it. And, um, and then you kind of begin to analyze it. So what are the, you know, facts that are supporting that negative thought? What are Mm -hmm. the facts that are negating that? And um, then you kind of come to a more balanced approach. So maybe a more objective as opposed to subjective way of looking at things. And it's so helpful to just make you aware of like the type of thoughts that you're thinking on a regular basis and how sometimes you're just really creating stories, like actually all the time, creating stories around everything. Like, for example, your boss had a harsh tone with you one day and you can take it so personally, but really they just had a bad day or their kid is sick. So, you know, by doing that type of exercise, we can really get out of our like, ego mentality that it's all about us and we can, um, yeah, just see it from a more objective perspective.
0: Yeah. I know. I know you can see me smiling, but, um, our listeners obviously (laughs) couldn't, but when you were talking about writing down all your thoughts and then figuring out what's the facts, because like you said, so many (laughs) times we've spun these facts into these beautiful, um, creative stories that we tell ourselves. And then we accept our stories as the truth. And then we take that all into our bodies and just, you know, kind of spiral ourselves into these um, anxious feelings and all of these things. So i love that you kind of called out the fact piece of thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the thing is that it can actually become like a safety mechanism for us. So sometimes we become so accustomed to thinking certain thoughts, like negative thoughts or, you know, limiting beliefs and, you know, whatever is very uh, known to us can feel very comforting. So, Mm. you know, we're kind of, we kind of get used to it and we, it becomes very habitual for us to think these type of thoughts. And then we kind of see it as like a safety blanket thinking in this way or behaving in this way. So, yeah, for sure, getting out of it, like you just even getting awareness to the fact that it's not accurate, then we can begin to shift it. But just also know that when you shift those patterns, it can feel really challenging because you're getting out of that comfort zone of like, I'm constantly thinking this way. This is like my safety blanket. It would be scary. Yeah. Even if it's not beneficial for us.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the key thing is that we get so comfortable sometimes in spaces that are not healthy. Yes. And not, you know, giving, doing any good in our lives, but we're just comfortable there. So we'll, we'll stay thinking it's cozy, but there could be a much nicer, much cozier space. Yeah. <laughs> if you could just step out of it. So, um, and I think that comes back to stretching, stretching ourselves beyond our comfort zones. We talk about that a lot. So, mm-hmm. um, and that actually, um, takes a lot of courage. And that's what we talk about all the time on this, on this podcast and in courage and action is obviously, um, courage being, being afraid of something and doing it anyway. Yes, Um, mm-hmm. for all the right reasons and knowing that, you know, at the root of it, you're, you are good enough and you are enough to be able to take that step, that first kind of step outside of your comfort zone or that first kind of step towards self-care that you deserve it.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. self love and self-care is is a big part of making positive, sustainable change. Yeah. So that can be a journey on its own for sure.
0: <laughs> oh yes. And everybody's will be very unique, no doubt.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, and I love that you said sustainable change because I think a lot of times we're looking for these quick tips and tricks. And if I just do this, my whole life is gonna change. And uh, it is very much a journey and very much unique to each person.
1: Yeah, um, even in terms of working with a holistic nutritionist right. or a wellness coach, like, um, and that's also why I became a certified mindfulness facilitator, is because uh, when I initially began working with clients one on one on nutrition, it was very much about, you know, what foods to eat. And it was very much directed at their physical being. Mm-hmm. But then if you want to make those sustainable changes after a few weeks of working together, then you know, your mentality really is what makes the difference. And if you think you're worthy of those changes, if you think that um, you do deserve to have this better lifestyle and what's blocking you from it. And a lot of the times it is those negative thinking um, patterns that we get into those limiting beliefs. So, you know, mindfulness meditation can shine such a light on that and it can also help us to shift it. So yes, definitely the emotional and mental aspect is huge when it comes to like really huge when it comes to making sustainable change.
0: And was it sort of that marriage of that and understanding of sustainable change that led you to creating the Health Sprout?
1: Um, I guess, yeah, it was definitely a part of that, of like just taking a very holistic approach to health. Yeah, uh, Because from my own personal experience, since I was 12 years old and I, I went to see specialists who... Were, were very focused on like one thing so I went to see a neurologist who's very specialized in brain health right and then uh, someone else who was very specialized in hormones and you know they weren't communicating with each other necessarily and um, and I was you know unable to spend too much time with them right. um, so it was kind of like it would be so nice this is what I thought if you could go to someone and they could just, Help you with a more holistic approach like your diet and yeah, your the whole package, package.
0: yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> and of course you know there's things that are out of my scope and I think things like acupuncture are so beneficial therapy I'm not a therapist right yeah definitely I would say you know in addition to if you see mm-hmm. a holistic nutritionist you also want to have other practitioners on your side but right. yeah I did just want to like have a more holistic approach that combined different things to really mm-hmm. benefit a person's entire well-being.
0: That's awesome. And what keeps you motivated to keep going with the Hellsprout and all the work that you're doing? (laughs) Obviously, it's making great, uh, great difference in a lot of people's lives, but what motivates you to keep going?
1: Yeah, I always have to come back to my why as to why I began doing it. And Mm. again, it's my personal story of how I was able to benefit my own well-being, changing my diet, you know, incorporating different lifestyle practices, mindfulness, meditation, yoga, mm-hmm. and it made a huge difference in my life. Like I can't even tell you how much of a difference sometimes I forget. And I kind of don't even like think it's.
0: <laughs> it's so <laughs> ingrained in you now. that. It's, and then
1: yeah. I think about it and I'm like, wow, that's, that's awesome. So then that's really what motivated me mm. to also help other people. And um, I was Really inspired when I was 25. That's when I left my full time job to study nutrition full time, mm-hmm. and it was definitely a leap of faith. Um, but it's really what felt right for me, and I can't really imagine doing anything else right now. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Not That's to amazing. say that you know later on I won't, but yeah, um, yeah. I guess my own story has really inspired me and keeps me going. And then just working with other people, being connected to um people who are with the same type of mentality. Right. um I'm really passionate about health and wellness, but also like the environment and
0: um, and (laughs)
1: like that. So just being in that same wavelength with people and kind of like having the same mentality, Mm -hmm. being connected to people who think the same way is really motivating to me. So colleagues or organizations that I get to work with and clients as well. yeah, kind of elevate. I love it.
0: And I think that's, you know, it might be one of the positive, there have been some positive things that have come out of this pandemic, but I think it made everyone pause and think more about their own wellness, self-care, and the environment. Um, mm. And society overall, a lot of societal issues have, have come to the service, and and we're actually having conversations about them now. And I think mental health is actually one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it caused a lot of mental health issues on one side, but it also enabled a lot of conversation to happen that potentially wouldn't have.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is really true. So it did bring um, a lot of light to potentially Mm. things that would usually not be getting a platform to be seen. And, you know, we're still navigating the pandemic. So very much so. There's going to be a lot of, a lot more, I guess, repercussions when it comes to our mental health as we go on. And There's even when it's over, I guess, quote unquote, yeah, <laughs> <'cause it's>, yeah, <laughs> there's ramifications that will still happen, but yeah, like just processing everything that did happen is also going to maybe take a while for yeah. people that have you know faced isolation or have been in difficult relationships that mm-hmm. had a lot of bites, had a lot of you know,
0: yep, um, and problems. even for kids, kids who are yeah. growing up in this environment, you know, yeah. we grew up putting everything in our mouths, immune systems going crazy, germs were not an issue, you're running around, you're playing with your friends all the time. I think, yeah. you know, for kids, I I emphasize a lot um, about what's going to happen with them.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of disruption to things that would have normally happened for kids, like mm-hmm. you know, prom or trips and right. things that um, that they would have not expected would have been impacted by a global pandemic. So. Yeah. I think like all of that processing, all those emotions and all of that. Yeah. Um, like flux that was happening, I guess, is something that we're going to need to recover from as a collective and individually. So, yeah, there's some work to be done after. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) absolutely. But you said it, it's a, a collective effort and we all have to rally around each other and take care of each other, um, throughout this whole thing. Um, I know I've learned a lot from this conversation and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Are there any um, potentially closing remarks or words of wisdom you'd like to share as we wrap up for today?
1: Yes. um, So we did talk a lot about self-care and we talked a lot about the mental repercussions of the pandemic. And I think one thing that has stood out to me um, today, especially I was facilitating a workshop about managing uncertainty and Mm self-care. And one thing that I mentioned is that nothing is static and everything changes. So Mm. our emotions will fluctuate, you know, one moment we feel stressed out and the next we can feel calm. So just as our emotions change, so do situations in our lives. So right now, if you're going through a difficult time, a challenging time, just know that everything changes. Nothing is permanent. And there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Or if you think about it, there's always sun behind the clouds. Um, and that is something really important to know is that this moment, if it's very challenging, it's not going to last forever.
0: I love that. I love the sun behind the clouds. That makes me me so happy. Um, and I think that's you know a brilliant way to close because one thing you hear all the time is the only, the only constant is change.
1: Yes, so, that's
0: true. Um, we kind of have to go with the flow of life as it mm-hmm. comes to us, right? Well, Laura, thank you so much. This was a very insightful conversation for me and I'm sure you've helped a lot of our listeners. So we greatly appreciate your time and, and you joining us today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And um, it's been such a great experience meeting you and being with <laughs> Bucket. Awesome, thank you.